Hey guys, welcome back to the Journey series as we continue to look at different journeys in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, journeys people took and lessons we can learn from those journeys and apply to our life as we continue to seek God in the way that He would have us follow Him. Uh, last week we looked at uh, Jacob and Esau, we looked at Noah the first week and we looked at Abraham the second week. Uh, this week is going to be no different. We're going to remain in the Old Testament. We're going to look at the life of Joseph. Now, Joseph took a journey that wasn't just your typical journey. As we look at the life and the journey that Joseph took, we're looking at a story, a journey, uh, that covers 13, test, 13 chapters of the Old Testament. It's the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. Uh, this is more of a journey that is a road trip. Many of you have probably been on extended road trips that took a week or more uh, to go and return. I know that my grandparents, uh, some years ago, they took a road trip uh, to Niagara Falls. They left Mobile headed up the East Coast, saw different things. They saw Gettysburg. They went to uh, Philadelphia. They went to New York. And they finally ended at Niagara Falls. And the thing about a journey this long uh, is that often when you tell your story, when you recap it to your friends and family, uh, is you don't have time to give all the details. You can't give uh, an hour-by-hour, day-by-day detailed map of what happened. But what you can do is you can look at the big events. When my granddad told me the story. He said, we went to Gettysburg, a place I always wanted to go. And it was amazing. We went to Philadelphia and New York and told me about those days. And then they told me, obviously, about their trip to Niagara Falls and the way the water sounded and the way that uh, the mist hit them in the face. So they, they highlighted the big stops in their journey, uh, not neglecting the smaller stops, but knowing what we wanted to hear were the bigger stops and hear about the bigger things that they did. And today, as we look at the life of Joseph, that's what we're going to do. As we unpack this long story, we're going to look at the bigger stops that he took in his journey. As we look at a God-ordained detour that Joseph took, God making him the man that he wanted him to become. Welcome to our Journey Series. So as we said, the story of jo Joseph, the journey that Joseph went on is an extended story. Again, it covers from chapter 37 of Genesis all the way to chapter 50. It covers from when he was 17 when we're introduced to him in chapter 37 all the way to when he was 110. And so we've got a lot to unpack here. And what I want to do is I want to give you the, the cliff notes of the story, the cliff notes of the journey. Uh, the way I think of this is when I come home from work and my wife asks me, how was your day? And I say, good. You know, she wants more detail. She wants to know more of what I did that day. Uh, but I just give her a short answer. That's what I'm going to do to you guys. Is I'm going to give you the short, the cliff note version. Some of you may have teenagers, and you know how they are. They come in from school. They say, how was your day? It was okay. You know they did more than that, and that's how sto the story of Joseph is. When we look at it today, we're going to know that there's more detail. We're going to know that more happened, but what I would encourage you to do is go back in the next week and read all 13 chapters. Study it for yourself. Look at the family. Look at the life. 
And so what we'll do real quick is a quick recap of the story of Joseph. We're introduced to him at age 17 in chapter 37 of Genesis. Uh, right from the get-go, we know that this is a family in turmoil. This is a family uh, with relationship stressors. Uh, we're told that Joseph is a favorite son of his father, Jacob. Now, this is, this is strange in the fact that he was number 11 in 12 brothers. Usually, the favorite son is the first one. He gets the blessing. But in the story of Joseph, all that flips. And because Joseph was the son of his favorite wife, he becomes a favorite son. We hear about the coat that, Joseph, that Jacob gave him. And this coat wasn't just any kind of coat. This was a coat... Scripture says of many colors, many Bible commentaries and theologians say that this was a long sleeve coat that would have signified uh, the fact that he was the heir, that he would have skipped his brothers and received the birthright, is what some commentaries say. And so you can imagine the stress that this put on the brothers in front of him, especially his older brother, Reuben. Uh, so we know that there were stressors in their relationship. We know that he was a dreamer. Uh, we're introduced to that the very first uh, chapter, the very first few verses, that Joseph had dreams of his brothers bowing down to him. And this uh, incited their rage, incited their anger, made them envious and jealous uh, to the point to where they sold him into slavery when he was 17 to 20 years old. Now, they sold him into slavery. Uh, they told his uh, father that he had died, been murdered, been killed by an animal. Uh, and he was sold into slavery, ending up at Potiphar's house. This is the second big stop on his journey, Potiphar's house, uh, where he was a servant to one of the captains of the guard for the Pharaoh in Egypt. He served there. He served well to the point where he was put in charge of everything. But, the, but Pharaoh's wife accused him of trying to lay with her. And because of this, Potiphar obviously got upset. And when he got upset, he threw him in prison. This is his third stop in prison. He's in prison for about two years, a little more. He's there for, as he is given reign over the prison, the prison, the guy that was over the prison uh, gave him charge of everything. Uh, and during this time, he interpreted two dreams for a baker, one for a baker uh, and one for a cupbearer. Uh, both dreams came true. For the baker, it meant death. For the cupbearer, it meant that he would be put back uh, in his place as a servant to Pharaoh. Joseph encourages him, says, please remember me when you're back at the right hand of Pharaoh. When you have a voice to Pharaoh, please remember me. Well, it takes the cupbearer two years uh, before he remembers the Hebrew man that's in prison. When he does, Pharaoh's had dreams, and you've probably heard of these dreams if you've spent any time in Genesis. And in his dream, he dreamed that there were fat cows coming out. Fatted calves, cows that you could tell had been fed well. And then there were seven skinny cows that came out. And, and, and he asked, who can interpret these dreams? And the cupbearer remembered Joseph in prison. And he told Pharaoh about Joseph. So there's a Hebrew servant in prison who can interpret your dreams. So they call Joseph out of prison. And Pharaoh says, can you interpret dreams? And he says, interpretations are for God. Interpretations are God's. And so he tells Joseph, his dream, Joseph interprets it to seven good years of plenty, but then followed by seven bad years of famine. And because of this, Pharaoh sees that God's hand is on Joseph's life, and he puts him in a place of power, second only to Pharaoh himself. During this time, he uh, collects, during the years of plenty, he collects and stores away uh, wheat and food. And then after the seven good years come seven bad years, when the whole known world comes to buy from Egypt because of the wisdom of Joseph. And through this we see his family, his brothers that sold him into slavery, then come to him, unknowing that he's still alive, unknowing that it's Joseph, and buy food from him. And through this process, it's revealed that he is Joseph. The family's reconciled. So today as we look at this, that's the cliff notes. I hope that it will make you thirsty and hungry for more, much like my wife when she says, how was your day? And I say, good. She said, well, give me more detail. I hope that in your mind, you want more detail and that you'll go this week 
and study the scripture. Study chapter 37 through 50 in Genesis and see all the details of what happened in Joseph's life and God's hand, God's providence on Joseph's life. But today what we're going to look at is a few big lessons that we can learn. A few of the big stops that Joseph made in his journey through life from the age that he was 17 to 110 as he was set on a God-ordained detour to make him the man God wanted him to be. One of the first things that we can see as we look at the life of Joseph, the journey that he went on, uh, one of the first things that we can see is that no family's perfect. I think this is a very important point as we look at the life of Joseph, especially in the context and the age that we live in, uh, when there seems to be extra pressure on moms and dads and kids to be perfect, to present that perfect family. As we look at the life of Joseph and as we look at uh, the story and other journeys that people took throughout Scripture, uh, one thing that Scripture does, it is blatantly obvious and clear and truthful about the people that God used to work with. And one thing that we can see in the life of Joseph right from the first couple verses of chapter 37 uh, is that their family was not perfect. Uh, in fact, it says this in chapter 37, verse 2. It says, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. This is his brothers that he was pasturing with. Now Israel loved Joseph more. Israel is his dad, Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So we see right out of the gate. uh, Scripture doesn't cover this up. This was a dysfunctional family in many ways. It was the God's chosen people to bring salvation to the world through Christ and to save the world in this situation uh, through Joseph going to Egypt. But they were people who were messed up. They were sinful just like me and you. And we see that Joseph's father had a favorite son who, you may be a parent, and we know that you may have a favorite, but you're not supposed to say that, right? You're not supposed to give your favorite child more gifts. You're not supposed to give them uh, better things and treat them differently. So we see that uh, Jacob uh, was dysfunctional in the way that he treated his son. We see that his son couldn't even speak peaceably to Joseph. That uh, Commentaries say that that means they can't even have a civil conversation. Uh, When Joseph would come in, they would probably leave. And I don't know about you, but there's people in my family, and I've had situations that uh, when we go, what are we doing for the holidays? Uh, and you go, well, is so-and-so going to be there? Right? You're wanting to know who's going to be there. Is the person that kind of rubs you the wrong way, are they going to be there? And that's how Joseph's family was. Uh, they, were, they weren't a perfect family, but God uses imperfect people, and God uses imperfect families uh, to, to change the world. Now, the question is not whether or not we're perfect or whether or not uh, we do everything right, but the question is how do we respond? What do we do? so that we can be usable to God. And as we look at the story of Joseph this morning, we'll see how we respond, how God prepares us to be usable for him in spite of our imperfection. So the first thing that we see is that Joseph's family wasn't perfect, right? They were far from it. And as you read uh, through chapter 37 through 50, you'll see some instances that'll make you question some stuff, uh, that you'll be going, what, what, you'll be asking, what's going on here? And so we see that his family wasn't perfect, but we see why they weren't perfect with our second point, which is this, that sin destroys relationships. Sin destroys relationships. 
Uh, we can see it in the life of Joseph and his brother and his father. Uh, you can probably look at the, your situations around you uh, and see where sin in your own life and sin in other people's life has affected your relationship with them. Sin, sin ruins and destroys relationships, especially not only horizontally, uh, but also vertically. We know uh, that because of the sin in our life, we can't have a relationship with Christ apart from repentance and forgiveness. And so sin destroys all aspects of relationships if it goes unchecked. Uh, for Joseph, uh, it was the sin of pride. Paul Tripp, author and pastor, uh, compares this to foolishness. And I would even say that more than prideful, uh, that jo- a better describer or descriptor of Joseph was foolish. Uh, he describes, Paul Tripp describes foolishness as the deadly combination of arrogance and ignorance. It's this deadly combination, foolishness. Is this deadly combination of arrogance, pridefulness, right, which we see uh, in the life of Joseph, and ignorance. We see his pride in the fact uh, that Joseph knew that his brothers hated him. Joseph could read a room. He was obviously a smart young man. He was 17 at the time. Uh, he, he could read the room. He wasn't naive to the situation with his brother. He wasn't naive to the relationship he had with his father as a spite to others. Uh, but in his pride and in his ignorance, he continued to share the dreams that he had. And these just aren't normal dreams. Uh, But these are dreams that he has that tell of his brothers bowing down to him, and not only his brothers, uh, but also his father in a second dream. He says the moon and stars will bow to the point to where his father rebukes him and his brother's hatred is kindled against him. And so we know that in his pride there was also arrogance, which this is foolishness. Arrogance to think that this wouldn't have repercussions in the long run. And we know that throughout scriptures we're, we're warned about pride. Uh, Proverbs uh, says this, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. My mom used to remind me of this growing up when I was a young man, probably foolish in many ways. Uh, she would always remind me of this verse when I would start bragging or gloating or whatever it may be, that pride comes before the fall. Uh, and we see this in Joseph's life as he ended this section, this part of his journey in a pit, a physical fall, but also a fall from grace. Uh, But then in the life of Joseph's brothers, we also see sin. Joseph's not alone in this. Uh, We also see uh, that his brothers dealt with envy, jealousy, and hatred. Uh, So there's not one side that's right and one side that's wrong, as is often the case in our lives, right? When we have relationship issues, when we have relational problems, it's usually not just one party that's at fault. Uh, It's usually multiple parties at fault. When people come in, uh, I have the privilege of being a pastor of people coming in and just talking through things, just to have a, a third voice in the conversation. And many times what we discover uh, is that both parties are at fault. And it's the same in the life of Joseph, that he wasn't right. He was living uh, in pride and arrogance. Uh, but his brothers were also dealing with sin themselves and living uh, in jealousy and hatred uh, toward their brother to the point uh, to where they're willing to kill him to get rid of him. And we see that it was his pride that led him to this because it says this in chapter 37, verses 18 and 20. It says, they saw him from afar. So this is where they're out pasturing the flock. So Joseph's not with them. His dad sent him out to pasture the flock. Uh, They end up going to Dothan and he tells Joseph to go check on his brother and and let him know if they're okay. Uh, And so he goes and heads out and his brothers see him coming from a distance. It says they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. So you can see how that's played into their opinion of jo- jo- uh, Joseph. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see that what will become of his dreams. We see that their envy and hatred drove them to the point of contemplating murder. 
in the life of Joseph. And at the core of this, it's also pride in their life, thinking we deserve what he has. We're the ones that should be getting the inheritance. We're the ones that should have the robe. He's the favored son, but that should be us, the favor that our father shows him. So we see that Joseph's family wasn't perfect, and no family is. We see that sin destroys all relationships horizontally, where most of the time, most of the time, most uh, are more than one party's at fault in the relationship, uh, but also vertically in the fact that uh, with our, the sin in our life, it destroys our relationship with God. He's perfect. He's righteous. He's holy. He can't be around sin. But because of the sin in our life, we're separated from God. And because of this, God has to do a work in us to bring us to repentance, which we'll look at. So as we continue to look at the journey that Joseph went on of about 93 years, uh, we see that Joseph's family is not perfect. We see uh, that sin destroys relationships. It destroys our relationships horizontally with other people, but it also uh, destroys our relationship uh, with God. And thirdly, we see that God was with Joseph in the pit, the prison, and the palace. Many times when we as people go through hard situations, uh, we, we don't ask the question, we don't ask the right questions. We ask the question, why me? We ask the question, uh, why is this happening to me? Instead of asking the right question, which is what does God want to do in me through this situation? And as we look at the life of Joseph, you, you think of a young man that's come from a place of prominence, right? The family of Jacob was a wealthy family. They had, they had children, they had flocks, they had possessions. Uh, Joseph was at a point where he was the favored son, right? He was treated differently. He was living a good life. Uh, but because of this and because of the pride in his life and the sin in his brother's life, he winds up in a pit. Uh, but what we see is that God is with Joseph in the pit, the prison, and the palace. That God never left him. Then in spite of all these things, uh, that God is always with him. And Scripture continues to say this. And in chapter 39, verses 1 through 4, uh, at this point, Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house. And we think, how can God be with somebody in slavery? How does God walk this out with him? How can it be God-ordained slavery? Well, the answer to the question is God is making him into the man uh, that he wants him to be on this God-ordained detour. He's building Joseph into the man uh, that is usable for God's will. Uh, but in chapter 39, verses 1 through 4, he's in Potiphar's house. Uh, and it says this, it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. For he was sold into slavery, and it says the Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw, now this is an Egyptian, right? A man who worshipped many gods. A man who was uh, in, in, involved in idolatry. But he says this, his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So we see that in Pharaoh's house, God was with Joseph. God ordained slavery. Seems, seems bizarre, seems, seems counterintuitive. But God was making him and building him into the man that he ultimately wanted to be. And then from Potiphar's house, when he's accused of, of wanting to lie with Potiphar's wife, wanting to lay with her, and she accuses him of that, and uh, Potiphar gets angry and throws him into prison. We see this in his thir uh, chapter 39, verses 19 through 23. It says, As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison and placed a, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. So Joseph goes from being a favored son 
to being sold into slavery in Potiphar's house, uh, to being put in prison. And it says this in verse 20, 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in that prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. And get this, but the Lord was with him. Again, the Bible continues to repeat this. That in spite of Joseph's circumstances, God remains with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And then when he finally interprets the dream for Pharaoh and is placed in a position of power in verse chapter 41, verses 38 through 40, say this. And Pharaoh said to his servant, can we find a man like this in whom the spirit of God dwells? He asked his people, is there anybody we can find in whom the Spirit of God dwells? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So we see that in spite of Joseph's circumstances, in spite of his surroundings, in spite of where we would look at his life and go, man, his life is ruined then in spite of all this, God continues to be with him and allows him to prosper. Why? Because Joseph is being made into the man that God wants him to be. His time hasn't come yet. He's still being built into a man that God can use. But God continues to be with him because he's seeking God. We see as we go through these, when he interprets dreams, he says, are dreams not God's? Everything in Joseph's life begins to be placed around God and pointed in the direction of God that it's not him who interprets dreams. It's not for his own glory. It's not for his own fame, for his own platform, but it's for the glory of God as we'll see as we continue and God continues to build Joseph into the man he wants him to be. So how is God building this? How is God making him into the man that he wants him to be? The answer is this, that God is building Joseph's integrity under pressure. That through these circumstances and through these situations, God is building Joseph into a man of integrity. I heard it put this way, that integrity creates rich soil for God's blessings to grow. Integrity is that ingredient that when God looks at us, He wants a man and a woman that He can trust. He wants a man and a woman that will be trustworthy and be a, a man of integrity and seek Him above all else regardless of the consequences. And we see this in Joseph's life. When Potiphar's wife, when he's a slave in her house, and he comes and says, lay with me, lay with me, it says this in Scripture. In chapter 39, it says, when she approaches him and says, lay with me, and Joseph responds in verse 9, he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, it's not just that Joseph doesn't want to do it, but he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, and to be with her. And then verse 12 said this, she came to him again and she approached him to lay with her. And it says, she called him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Joseph fled from sin. Why? Because he asked the question, how can I do this and dishonor my God? How many of us, when we're in those situations, whether it's a small thing or a big thing, say, how can I do this and sin against God? See, when we sin, we don't just sin against ourselves and against others. But ultimately, we sin against the Holy God. And we see that Joseph understood this. And then God continues to build his integrity. And when we see him in prison, he could have very easily been mad. He could have very been upset and asked the question, why me, instead of what is God doing in me? He could have slouched and just sat in his cell and not been effective in any way, but instead of being a man of integrity, he says, I'm going to work to the glory of God. And the prison master put him over everything. 
So you and I as believers, we should want to be used by God. If we don't want to be used by God, I would tell you, you may not be a believer. If you're living a life where you go, I don't care if God uses me or not, you're probably not a believer because we all as believers want to be used by God. But for many of us, the missing ingredient that God is looking for is integrity. In our life, do we have sexual integrity? Do we have integrity in our marriage? Do we have integrity in our workplace? Are we thinking above the line? Are we the people that they go, there's no doubt he's a man of integrity and he is trustworthy. She is a woman of integrity and she is trustworthy. See, many of us want to be used by God, but our integrity is lacking behind us and we can do everything we can to bend the world to our will in spite of our lack of integrity. But in order for God to truly use us, you and I have to be men and women of true integrity. And we see this repeated again in the New Testament as, as Joseph ran from sexual sin. And as he said, how can I do this great wickedness against my God? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us lay it aside. Be men and women of integrity. Lay the sin down. Lay the things down in our life that aren't driving us toward Christ. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Who are we looking to when we do this? Who is our picture of integrity? The author of Hebrews tells us, he says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Will you and I endure the shame that comes? And endure the despise and the shame for the sake of the cross, for the sake of Christ? Because when you and I are men and women of integrity, there's going to be people that question us. There's going to be people that go, what drives you to make these decisions? What drives you to be honest when nobody's looking? What drives you to be faithful to your wife in spite of having freedom to do whatever you want? What drives you to be truthful at work? And then they'll question us that that can't be true. Are we willing to endure the shame and, and be despised for the sake of the gospel? Joseph was. God built him under pressure into a man of integrity on this God-ordained detour that he would use to save Israel and Egypt. So we see that God was building Joseph into a man of integrity. Uh, but many times when these processes are going on, when Joseph was in prison in the pit and in slavery, I'm sure that he was thinking, man, what is taking so long? Because Joseph could remember the dreams he had when he was 17 years old. And at this point, at the end of his prison term, before he goes into service of Pharaoh, he's about 30 years old. So there's been about 13 years uh, that he's been sitting holding to these dreams where God showed him that he would be in power and that his family would bow to him and that he would be the one that saves him. So you know that he's got to be thinking, where is that coming? I don't see how I get out of prison. I don't see how I get out of slavery uh, to become to a place where people would bow to me. See, and your next point is this, that God follows his timing for his glory. God follows his timing for his glory, uh, not our timing for our glory. Many times when we're in these hard situations where God is building in us uh, the men and women that He wants us to be, it's hard, right? God is putting us under pressure. He's finding out what we really believe. There's been times in my life uh, where I've had to make decisions and where I've questioned the decision I was about to make. And it was almost like it was an audible voice where God said, are you going to sell out? Are you going to sell out? And I knew in that moment that I couldn't because God's timing was perfect and I had to wait on Him. See, God's timing's perfect for His glory. Not for mine and yours. His timing's perfect for His glory as He builds us into the people He wants us to be. And we see that in Joseph's life. Joseph spent roughly 
20 to 25 years before his brothers ever even came to him. After having these dreams when he was 17, he was almost 40. There had been seven good years, there had been two bad years of famine before his family finally comes to him and these dreams start to be a reality, but he held on to those dreams. Knowing that God's timing is perfect. Are there areas in our life where we're trying to push a door open? Where we're trying to bend the world to our will? Where we're going, God, you don't understand the situation that I'm in. Knowing that God's timing is perfect. And it is for His glory, not for our glory. Oftentimes we want to build a platform so that God can use it. We want to do this and we want to do that so that then God can be glorified. And what we need to realize is that God doesn't need us to glorify Himself. That in God's timing, He gets the glory. In God's timing, He will be glorified. And we see that in the New Testament as well. As Joseph waited, we must wait. But then we see also in Galatians 4, 4 and 6, that God waited for the perfect time to send His Son. That God's timing is perfect. He could have sent Him at any point that He wanted to. Christ could come whenever, but He waited for the perfect time in Galatians 4 4 and 6 it says this but when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba Father we see in this verse that God's timing is perfect It was perfect in the life of Joseph to get him to the point to where he was usable in a big way. To where Joseph relied on God for his interpretation of dreams, for his planning of how to collect the produce for the seven bad years, and the planning of how this whole thing would work out where his family, the dreams that he had and his family was coming to him. Uh, But we see that God also waited for the perfect time to send his son, Jesus, for me and for you, for our redemption. And if you and I are going through a hard time in life, which we all will, some of us may be on a mountaintop now and some of us may be on a, in a valley. The mountaintop will descend into a valley and the valley will descend to a mountaintop, but we have to wait on God's perfect timing for all those things. And again, ask the question on this God-ordained detour, not why me, but what are you trying to do in me? And then finally, the big point that we see, the big aspect that we see comes at the close of chapter 50 when uh, Jacob is, passes away at 135, if I remember correctly. Joseph's dad's 135 when he dies, and his brothers get worried at this point. Remember, at the point, Bible, the Bible tells us that Joseph is 56 years old, 56 years old when his father passes away. So that means that he, was, he had one brother younger than him, and that was Benjamin. That means all the other brothers are older than 56 years old. These were old guys. These weren't young men. These were old guys who had been carrying the sin of what they'd done to their brother their whole lives. And when their father passes away and they're in Egypt and uh, Joseph has been taking care of them, they assume that because their father is now dead, that Joseph will also do away with them. And so Scripture tells us this in chapter 50, verses 15 and 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before you died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of your servants of the God of your father. And it says this, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then it says, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph's 56 years old and the story, the dream that he had at 17 has finally become a reality. 
He can finally place the puzzle pieces together. And now this is his time. He can either say, you're right, you deserve what I'm about to give you. Our father has passed away. I don't have to honor him anymore. Or he can forgive them. And this is what Joseph does in verse 19. It says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. He starts to see why God sent him on this God-ordained detour in his life. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to him. See, Joseph's brothers had been carrying the burden of their sin for a long, long time. Forty plus years. Afraid of what would happen to them, especially once they came into Egypt and realized Joseph was still alive. And he was taking care of their families and their father passed away. And they go, now he will surely pay us back. And we see that Joseph forgave him. See, in the Old Testament, there's pictures of Christ. There's shadows of Christ to come, of Jesus to come, and this is one of them. See, none of us has a perfect family. We all have sin in our life that has destroyed our relationships, not only horizontally with those around us, but also vertically with the righteous and holy God. We've been sent on God-ordained detour where He builds into us the people that He wants us to be. And we see that the point that we have to come to is one of asking for forgiveness. Our sin must lead us to repentance. It did this for Joseph's brothers. It took them a long time to get there. But they kindly, finally came and said, forgive us for we're servants. And just like that, you and I must go before a holy God knowing we're not perfect that our sin draws us to repentance to go, God, forgive us for what we've done. And he says, you are forgiven because of what Christ has done for you. Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. Joseph's life was spent making him into the man that he should become. He was sold into slavery, his robe stripped from him, sold for silver to the Ishmaelites, built into a man that could finally save his people. Joseph, Jesus came, served with life, was rejected by his people, just like Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Joseph's life was, in a sense, sacrificed that he may be in a place to save his brothers one day. Jesus' life was sacrificed so that you and I can be saved. The Bible tells us there's no way to the Father except through the Son. When we come to repentance through Christ, God says, as Joseph said to his brothers, you are forgiven. I'll take care of you. I'll take care of your family. Have you been driven to repentance today? And then finally, every week in our journey series, when you get home from a trip, you always unpack. We always like to have a part at the end where we unpack what we've learned, where we unpack what we've talked about. And so today in your unpacking, let's remember this. Sin destroys our relationships with God and others. The sin in our life destroys our relationship with God and others. As we look at our horizontal relationship, our relationships with people here, is there sin in our life that's destroying those where we've been trying to blame others? When inside, we have to look at ourselves. If we're somebody who all of our relationships seem to struggle, then it's probably not that everybody has issues with us. It's probably that we have issues and sin in our life that's causing these relationships to struggle. We see that God uses men and women of integrity. Are we men and women of integrity? If integrity is a soil in which God's blessings can grow, are we living a life of integrity that we may be used for God? We see that God's timing is for His glory and not ours. We have to remember We've got to work hard as believers. We've got to work hard. 
We've got to be an example to other people for how to work. We've got to be an example for how to live. But at the end of the day, God's timing in our lives, God's timing in our families, God's timing in our church is for His glory and not ours. Are we trying to make it about our glory? Or are we giving glory to God in His timing? And finally, God will forgive our sin when we go to Him in repentance. God will forgive our sins if we go to Him in repentance. If we want to be used by God, we've got to be men and women of integrity acknowledging our sin and go to Him in repentance. If you've never gone to God in your sin and in repentance, I encourage you to do so. If you want God to use you, we've got to daily go before Him and say, God, forgive me and help for me to see where you want to use me. Joseph had a long journey. It's a lot to unpack. I encourage you to go back. Read it this week. Study the words and see what you can learn from the story, from the journey that Joseph went on.